Spirit, we welcome you in this sanctuary this morning. We love and honor your presence. Great and mighty Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us worship Jesus, leading and guiding us into truth in this hour, showing us, revealing to us things to come. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need you. So I thank you this morning that every heart here is softened to your presence and your leading. We thank you, Lord. Where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. Thank you for liberty and freedom in this house today to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. I like to do baby dedications just right right following our worship because of the presence of God and the anointing of God. And we are happy to have this whole crew. You almost filled up half the sanctuary. Growing up, the Methodists, we had cookies to get people to church. I think we'll just do baby dedications. Amen. So let me just take a couple minutes here. And and, uh, if you want to come up, 
right now with the, with the sponsors and Baby Reed. Got other babies here today too. And little ones. You know, in the Bible, Jesus was very open to having children come. Are you aware of that? And uh, he'd always have time, and I can see my Jesus just playing with kids. Amen? Well, somebody's unhappy, but it's not you yet. No, let's, should we hurry it along here? Is this it, by the way? Okay. When we dedicate a child to God, see, I, I grew up Methodist. We had confirmation. Some of you were Lutherans. I don't know some of your backgrounds. But when you pray over a baby and dedicate a baby, that does not impart salvation to that baby. Do you understand that? You're dedicating the child. And when you look at the Scriptures and you look at the Bible, the Bible is very clear about dedicating babies. Now, when that child comes to the age of accountability and and recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and is born again, that's that's vital. But so baby dedication prepares the way for that. How does that happen? With words. When the preacher or the parent or whoever is involved can speak the word of life over that baby, it sets the course. For the future of that baby. Do you understand that? So when we lift up, read this morning to the Father. The Bible says we can declare and decree a thing and it shall be established for you. And light will shine upon your pathway. How does that happen? With words. Life and death is in the what? Power of the tongue. I like... I like, you know, some people get all bent out of shape when the babies cry, but that represents life. New life. New life in this church. Amen. So, praise God. Let's see this little boy. You filled out. For a while there, we were a little concerned, weren't we? But we prayed. Oh, my. What happened? He got big. God is so good. Yeah. Let's stand up this morning. I want you to extend your hands to baby Reed. Oh, Father, we're so thankful this morning for this little one, for Reed Allen. Lord, you were so faithful, Lord God, when they were concerned that he wouldn't take nourishment, but he's doing it now. Because you're a God that saves and a God that heals. And so, Lord, we're going to start out Reed's life with the words of our mouth. And we thank you, Lord. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So this morning, we use our tongue to declare and decree life everlasting for Reed. We prophesy this morning that this little one will receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior at a young age and be filled with the Spirit of the living God. We prophesy the angels of God that were sent to be just angelic protectors for Reed. 
guard, watch, protect, read 24-7. We thank you, Lord, that Reed shall grow up strong and mighty in God. He shall prosper, be in health, even as his soul prospers. And Father, I pray, Lord God, for this next generation will be a strong and mighty generation that leads people. So I call Reed Allen a leader in the name of Jesus. So we say be blessed this day. Everyone, one, two, three. Be blessed, Reed Allen, in Jesus' name. Oh, that got your attention. Yeah. Yeah. You got a good start. We're thankful for you. Uh-huh. You want to go back to Mama? No? Amen. We say, Mom and Dad, be blessed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Their quivers fall in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. We have a lot of announcements this morning, so I'm going to shoot through them really quick. So just sit up and pay attention. Next Sunday is the first Sunday in the month. That is Donut Day from 915 to 945. You don't want to miss Donut Day. It's a good time to fellowship and get to know one another. Now, usually on the first Monday of the month, in the evening, we have a teaching service. Next Monday is the first Sunday, and it's Labor Day. The Monday after that is the night after Mike Keys will be here and be on the way back to the airport. So we just haven't quite decided what we're going to do. At least I didn't forget. Anyway, like I did last month. Anyway, just we are teaching you to be instant in season and out of season. We will come uh, with more information on that later when we decide what to do. But for right now, it's just a hold. This afternoon at 1 o'clock at Tahazuka Park is the picnic for the Convention of States. You're welcome to come. They're going to grill burgers and, and hot dogs and have a short meeting, and there will be uh, just a love offering for them. So if you're interested in that, that's at Taha. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, also, on Saturday, uh, the 11th of September, on 9-11, from 9 to 12, is the Norfolk to Norfolk with Love Project. And that is put together by a number of churches, and they just have projects to go out and bless people and organizations in the community. So if you're interested in doing that, it's from 9 to 11 on Saturday the 9th, Talk to Abe after the end of the service, and he will get you the information. And we'll have more on that next week. But that make sure you mark that on your calendar. Okay, I think that's it. Oh, Wednesday night, of course, is prayer. That is the most vital thing going on right now. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock is prayer. I, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, that God has a purpose for everything. And the Holy Spirit... There are two main functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One is for private edification, 
And the other is for public exhortation. We haven't even gotten into that part yet. For the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives. If you look up 1 Corinthians 14, 4, it says, He who prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So it is to build yourself up spiritually. Romans 8, 26 says, He helps us to pray as we ought, effectively. So when we don't know exactly how to pray, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us, and he will help us. Romans eight fourteen says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit leads us. And then in Acts 1, 4 through 8, it's for power. And and it talks about power is in the life of the believer to be effective witnesses and do the work of the ministry. So we've been talking about those things. But today I want you to open up to Acts chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 1. Because... We're just kind of, kind of explain, just been going through all the assets and all the different variations and understanding of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 4, or Acts 1, 4 through 8, did I say 4, 1, chapter 1, 4 through 8, this is Jesus speaking. He says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit upon them, within them. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you start at this time, restore the kingdom of Israel. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons for which the father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of wrong teaching and a lot of neglect of teaching on the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, he's going to go away, but he is sending the Holy Spirit. And when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he comes within you. He fills you. So now turn over to Acts chapter 2. We're just going to go through a few scriptures in Acts very quickly. Acts chapter 2. So Jesus told them in Acts 1 that the Holy Spirit was going to come. They just needed to wait for it. Then in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Remember, unity brings power. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Another purpose for the speaking in tongues in the Holy Spirit is, is that it is an evidence. It is a sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When you were born again, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe that. You receive it by faith. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is by faith also. But he gives us an evidence of that in his speaking in tongues. Now look at Acts chapter 2, 33 through 39. 
Now, this is after the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit of God came upon Peter. And Peter says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin, new birth. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is important. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all, circle all, who are afar off, as many as the Lord your God will call. One more scripture, Acts 19. Verses 1 through 6. This is now Paul in the New Testament church out among the Gentiles. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who come after him, that is on Christ Jesus, the new birth. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, Then the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, there were about 12 in all. There is only one factor that you have to have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is you have to be born again. After that, if you desire to have the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is receive it. It's for everyone. Now, there's confusion because it talks... Later, we'll go into this in Corinthians about how there's different gifts. That's talking about public ministry. But the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone who wants it. We just have to receive. So we just want to get that in you because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you have those scriptures written down, go back and look through those and study those. Because right now at this time and season in our lives... We need the Holy Spirit. Ushers, we're going ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. If you need an envelope, raise your hand, and the ushers will receive that. If you want a receipt at the end of the year, make sure you fill out the offering envelope correctly and legibly.
Amen. Um, I'd like the ushers. I'm going to need a couple guys. I want every family. I can't give. I don't know if we have enough made. So one per family. I'm going to hand out a, an article that was written back in July by, by Mario Morello. And it's entitled, To Save America, We Must Stop Playing Church. And I, I've had this, and I, I just want to get it in your hands. Please read it. Will you do that? Amen. So everyone, it, one per family. If you don't want one, that's fine. I think it'll bless you. And See, this is a remnant church. Remnant church means, you know, there's the four types of soil, amen. Well, we're the soil that believes the Word, believes God, believes the prophets, amen. Amen. Don't read it now while I'm talking to you, please. Dear Lord, I know you're tempted because it's good. We're on a series, and today, because of time, and, and uh, I will give you a little bit of an introduction and a review, and then I'm going to read to you a story. Is that all right? Can I read you a sermon today? Our purpose the last few weeks, we started a new series, is to help you, the believer, become more God-inside-minded. How many of you would say Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't know, see me afterwards. Then you and I both, we need to come to the realization that our Creator, our God, our Lord is inside us. And you and I need to see ourselves as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That means we need to cop an attitude. We need to know who we are in Christ. Say, in Christ. We said the things we allow to dominate our thoughts will shape our future. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So what you think about, what you meditate upon every day will help shape your future, good or bad. You and I must see ourselves through God's eyes. Let me say that again. You and I must see ourselves through God's eyes. How does God look at you? You and I must believe God's Word and confess what His Word says about our position in Christ. We need to believe His Word. Say, I believe... His Word, and I will confess His Word about me. And there's a lot in there about you. Never judge yourselves by your weaknesses. Your past is not the right measuring stick. Too many people overvalue what they are not and undervalue what they really are. Look at Colossians, and this is our text. This will probably be the only scripture I refer to this morning, but I want to read it to you. And it's in Colossians chapter 1, 
And the Apostle Paul says in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And here's what the mystery is, folks. Which is Christ in you. Say that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say it again. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Once more. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You can't have glory without Christ. And I want to experience the glory of God. That's why we exalt Jesus in this church. Amen. We said the revealed mystery of God is Christ living in you. When Paul was used the expression in Christ, he's revealing to you and I the new life he has now through his relationship with Christ. Now listen to this statement. I... Whenever I say listen to this statement, you should listen to that statement. So pay attention. Each believer is placed into Christ at the point of the new birth. But he or she is in Christ as a seed. Say seed. And unless the spiritual roots of his being root themselves into the life of Christ, which is the word of God, Stability is impossible. Now, let me read it once more. Each believer is placed into Christ at the new birth, but he or she is in Christ as a seed. And unless the spiritual roots of his being root themselves into the life of Christ or the word of God, stability is impossible. So you start your spiritual life as a what? How do these, how do these young ones start? Don't be embarrassed. Seed. Babies. They grow up and become infants, become adults. So, you know, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to read this and, and then I'll let you go. But I want to drive home a point to you today. Some of you have probably heard this story, but most of you probably forgot it. It's a serious story, but it drives home a point. It's written in one of my favorite book. This is my favorite book, the Bible, but of all the books I've had as 35 years as a preacher, this one has impressed my life the most. How many of you know who Leonard Ravenhill was? Great author. He's gone on to be with the Lord. This is his son, David, wrote this book, and this is one of my favorite books. And... It's on spiritual maturity. For God's sake, grow up. That's where the church is at right now. Amen. Here's his opening story. Helen and Gilbert Doyle, a middle-aged Christian couple who had already taken over 50 foster children into their home through the years, in addition to rearing three children of their own, were overjoyed when a social services worker phoned with an unusual request. How would you like to take care of a premature baby boy for us? 
His 16-year-old mother was only six months along in the pregnancy when he was born, and he weighed just two pounds at birth. He's up to four pounds now, and the doctor feels the baby needs to get out of the incubator and into some loving arms. How about it? Will you take him? Soon the little baby with the tiny turned up nose and beautiful blue eyes had a home. In the weeks ahead, while Gilbert, a farmer, worked in his fields, Helen fed and rocked the baby and prayed hundreds of prayers over him. Whenever Gilbert came in, he took over the rocking while Helen straightened the house, got a load of washing done and cooked a meal. One morning after the baby had been in their home about six weeks, his eyes rolled back in his head and he made several strange sounds. Then he passed out, remaining unconscious for two or three minutes. Helen raced to the phone, called the doctor, and in less than an hour she was sitting in his office. Doctor, she asked, while you're examining the baby, would you mind checking his eyes? Something's not quite right. A few minutes later, as the doctor placed the baby in Helen's arms, he smiled reassuringly. The baby's eyes are fine. I couldn't find anything else wrong either. I hope it's not epilepsy. Four weeks later, when the baby passed out again, the doctor instructed the couple to take him to a pediatrician in a larger city nearby. While the pediatrician was thoroughly going over the baby, Helen asked if he would mind checking his eyes. What makes you think there's anything wrong with the baby's eyes, he asked. They certainly appear to be normal, don't they? Yes, they do. But something's just not right, doctor. Would you examine him real good for me? After shining a tiny light in the baby's eyes without saying a word, the doctor pushed a buzzer and another physician walked in. Turning to the anxious couple, the pediatrician asked, would you mind leaving the room while we conduct another test or two? After 15 minutes or so had passed, the doctor called Helen and Gilbert back into the examining room. You were right, he sighed. The baby is blind. I just hope he doesn't have what I think he has. We'd better admit him to the hospital three or four days for extensive tests. I want to monitor every drop of urine this baby passes. Two days later, Gilbert stopped the doctor as he made his rounds. Can you tell Helen and me what's wrong? What do you think the baby has? As a matter of fact, I was on my way to give you the test results when you met me just now in the hall. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but tests have confirmed that the baby has, has Lowe's syndrome. A hereditary condition in males characterized by growth retardation, mental retardation, hypotonia, bilateral congenital cataracts and glaucoma. A defect in the baby's kidneys results in impaired retention of various amino acids and salts. Seeing the couple's blank stares, the doctor paused. In other words, the kidneys work just the opposite of the way they're supposed to and literally poison the body by sending the bad back into the system while sending the good out. The doctor paused again, leaning over and stroking the baby's soft cheek as if gathering courage for what he was about to have to say, then clearing his throat, he continued. The condition has already made the baby blind, except for a tiny rim of light over the top of the cataracts on his eyes. It will eventually affect the brain, causing retardation, and it will affect his muscles. It will become increasingly increasingly difficult for the baby to swallow or to lift his arms and legs. His life expectancy is limited. He'll never grow beyond the size of an infant or toddler. I'm sorry, very sorry. Helen and Gilbert took the baby back home. With each passing month, he required more and more care until finally the demands were constant. Either Helen or Gilbert had to hold him all the time, day and night. The baby barely moved his arms or legs. Then he couldn't lift them at all. All he could digest was milk, water, or juice. Because of his difficulty swallowing, he could take only an ounce or so at a time. Then he'd have to stop and rest. 
During the last week or so of his life, the baby's muscles had deteriorated so badly, he breathed in shallow gas from the upper part of his lungs and had to be fed with an eyedropper since he could no longer suck a bottle. At seven months, he weighed only eight and a half pounds. Then he took pneumonia. Helen was standing in the hospital beside the baby's incubator when he gave one final gasp and he was gone. With permission from the hospital personnel, the couple collected the baby's things, wrapped him in a blanket, Helen and held him in his arms, weeping and praying softly as Gilbert drove the 35 miles back to the country town where they lived. After pulling their car into the mortuary parking lot, Gilbert held out his hands and whispered, Here, Helen, let me carry him in. That tough, weather-beaten farmer held the baby all the time he he and Ellen made the funeral arrangements, then gently placing the child in the mortician's arms, he turned and literally ran to the car. I can hardly tell the story without tears welling in my eyes. One reason is because I know that couple's grown son and daughter-in-law, and our friendship makes it more personal. The other thing that touches me so deeply about the story is the tender love and overwhelming grief that rugged farmer felt for a little child who would never mature to manhood. I said all that to say this, and I hope you're listening. Somehow in that farmer's sobs and tears, I see the grief of God. As he weeps over many of his own children, who should have grown into spiritually mature men and women by now, yet remain pitifully stunted babies. Oh, how he must mourn as he forced to lay aside his thrilling plans for their lives. What sorrow he must feel as he considers the mighty exploits they could have accomplished in his name and how God must sigh. As he grieves for the intimacy and friendship, he and those beloved children are missing because they hardly know him. What has caused such a terrible tragedy in the church? What happened to bring it all about? Over the past few decades, we experienced a remarkable outpouring of the Spirit of God in the 1960s and 70s particularly, which is this is what birthed Kathy and I into ministry. God sovereignly moved on the baby boomer generation and reaped a harvest of souls. Thousands of churches came into existence to accommodate these new believers. Thousands more experienced dramatic changes. Churches became less a sunny meeting hall and more a dynamic hub for genuine body life. Wooden religious traditions gave way to spontaneous worship. The exercise of spiritual gifts such as healing and prophecy increased and some circles witnessed a resurgence of prayer. Like a father eagerly participating in the birth of a child, I witnessed the emergence of this new life into the church. Barely able to contain my excitement, I watched as a new generation of believers was supernaturally birthed. What a potent force this multitude of believers would be when they were fully mature, equipped for the works of service, steadfast in the faith, wholly reliant on God, filled with integrity, wise in the ways of God and men. What impact they would have in turning men and women from godlessness and perversion and bringing healing to a nation festering with the wounds of sin. How God would be moved by the effective prayers of a fervent righteous generation crying out for Him to visit the earth in power and fulfill His purposes. Like a 
a doting father hovering over the crib of his sleeping infant, I couldn't keep from smiling, anticipating the day when this, these tender, vulnerable, young converts would cast aside the immaturity that marks all children and become strong believers. Firmly established in the ways of God, I sighed with satisfaction, imagining what a pleasure would be to watch them grow in the character, wisdom, and knowledge of God and into the full stature of Christ. But maturity, and this is what's sad, and this is what is true, but maturity was not to become the hallmark of this move of God. The church did not rise to become the powerful instrument the Lord could use to transform the nations. Rather than maturing into adulthood, some believers have never progressed beyond infancy. Our toddlerhood in the relationship with God. Many have remained fixated in the selfishness of childhood or the awkwardness of adolescence. The church is now Filled with believers who have begun in the faith. They can profess a saving knowledge of Christ, but who have ceased to grow. As a result, a spiritually stunted church has been plagued by immorality, carnality, worldliness, imbalance, and lack of direction. Until the church grows out of spiritual infancy, such problems can only continue. I believe God has appointed this hour for the church to take its rightful place. And we're in this hour. And we will take our rightful place. It's time to put away our childish ways behind us, casting aside everything that would hinder our growth in God. The time has come to get down to the business of assuming the responsibilities of spiritual adulthood. Simply put, folks, it's time to grow up. Cemeteries are full people who never fulfilled their spiritual destiny in Christ. It will not be said of me when they put me in the ground that I did not fulfill my spiritual destiny in Christ Jesus. And my prayer is for each one of you here today that you will fulfill your spiritual destiny in Christ. But pastor, it's so hard. Grow up! Sorry I made you jump. Didn't mean to do that. But sometimes sheep sleep. And sheep are indifferent to the Word of God. And they live their life daily. Que sera, sera. Whatever be, will be, will be. It's time. I'm looking at each one of you. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for preachers to grow up. And quit trying to appeal to the masses through entertainment. This church isn't that kind of church. I have pissed a lot of people off through the years because I preached the truth. Yes, I say pissed. And I will continue to preach the truth to you. She talked about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Some of you don't need to raise your hand because you don't go to church here. But how many of you trust me? No, okay, just leave your hands up. Oh, don't put them down. 
How many of you trust Kathy and I? How many of you trust God? It's God's will for you to get filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. It's God's will. And that's going to help you grow up. So if you haven't been filled yet and spoke with other tongues, get filled and speak with other tongues. I don't know if I like this church. Well, go to one of those churches we just referred to in the book. It'll entertain you. They'll have their bazaars. We used to call them cookie nookers. My dad called them cookie nookers. They were Methodist church. They marched from the sermon right into the kitchen for cookies. And there's nothing wrong with cookies. Donuts are better. That's why we have donuts here. We've come up another level. I love you. But I'm telling you, in the days ahead, if we're going to win a harvest of souls. You know what they're saying on, on the, the prophets and apostles are saying this. A billion souls. A billion souls coming into the kingdom of God. It will not be coming into the kingdom, kingdom of God with cookie nookers or donut nookers. It'll come, they'll come into the kingdom. There'll be a harvest because people know who they are in Christ and they're using their authority. They're binding and loosing in Jesus' name. You're not going to win a harvest of souls by being indifferent, compromising, and being a passive Christian. Oh, when you die, you'll go to heaven. But you will not be rewarded like the remnant will. Awful quiet in this Presbyterian church. Stand to your feet this morning. I came for a baby dedication and I'm leaving crying. Grow up! We're talking about new life here. What do you do with Reed now for the rest of his days? You nurture that child. You feed that child. You put stuff in that child physically and spiritually so when he grows up, he'll not be one of the Christians I was talking about who isn't doing anything for the kingdom of God. This nation's in the condition is in, it is in because baby Christians haven't done what they're supposed to do. Grow up. At least they're not throwing tomatoes. I'll take stuffed animals any day. That doesn't hurt. Did that make sense to you today? Did that? Thank you, Carl. Let's pray today. Let's close with prayer. Because I'll guarantee you, there's everyone in this room, there's areas we need to grow up. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for the story that I read. True story. I pray, Lord God, it made a difference in the hearts of your people that they will not be satisfied 
being a spiritual, immature baby Christian for the rest of their life, but there'll be a hunger birth in them to grow spiritually. Lord, you're raising up a mighty army. I want to be on the front lines and I want the people of Harvest Church to be on the front lines. So help us, Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we all be rooted and grounded in love, in the Word of God. And our spiritual roots will go down deep. They'll be nourished and strengthened and we'll experience stability. We'll grow up and we'll bear abundant fruit for you, Lord. Father, it's your will that your people bear fruit. I want to be a fruit bearer, Father. I want the people of Harvest Church to bear fruit for you. So, Lord, I thank you for challenging them softening their heart to the truth I gave them this day, and let that desire be birthed within them to grow up. And we can't grow up without Jesus Christ, the living Word. We thank you, Father. We love you. And Father, I speak today and declare grace to this body of believers. Grace! To grow up in Christ. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So I thank you Holy Spirit by faith. I call this people a hungry people. A fruit bearing people. Wise mature people. And we thank you Lord for watching over your word to perform it. In Jesus name. And all God's people said. I'm going to say it this way. And all God's people said, grow up. Now, we're going to say it once more, like you mean it. Look at your neighbor. Look at your kids. Kids, look at your parents. And say, grow up in Christ. Amen. Anyone here today need prayer for your physical body? And we'll dismiss you. No dinner today? At the house, okay. Anybody need prayer? I think you got enough prayer for your spiritual man today. Amen. We'll be blessed. Remember, anything else? The Convention of States, 1 o'clock, if you're interested. God bless you. Go out and win a soul. Amen.